0: A while back, somebody came to see me. They'd been explaining what it means to be a Christian and how to have a right relationship with Jesus and to be forgiven of your sins and so you can go to heaven when you die. And they came to ask me a question. They said, well, the person asked me a question I couldn't answer. And I said, what was that? And they said, "Well, well, they asked, well, why are you still here? They said, I mean, if you asked Jesus into your heart 20, 30 years ago, which the person had told them they had, and you've given your life to him, why didn't he take you up to heaven? If the goal was that you could be with him in heaven forever, why are you still here? I mean, is there a waiting line? Is there a breakdown with a computer system up there? I mean, why, why does it take so long? I mean, so you become a Christian when you're 20, and then you got to stick around to you're 85? Is there, is there some processing problem? The guy, and the person said, I didn't know how to answer him. Why are we still here? Well, we're still here, and inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit today in our series on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We're still here because God gave us a mission. This is point A on your outline, because God gave us a mission to accomplish, Here's what he told his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The disciples that traveled with Jesus were commissioned to go and make disciples of their own. And those disciples were in turn commissioned to make disciples themselves, and so on and so on, and we are the current generation of disciples. And so what I explained to this person was, I said, well, you tell them the reason we're still here is so that you can be explaining the gospel to him, and to your other, and to neighbors, and to friends, and to relatives, and as a church, we can work together to tell the whole world the good news of Jesus." Not only does Jesus, not only is he gracious enough that I can have a personal relationship with him, he wants the whole world to come to him. Now, if that's good news, would you say Amen? amen. Well, this is our mission. It's why we're still here. And it's why he hasn't taken us home yet. By the way, point one on your outline, A one there, Jesus promised to return when the mission is completed. Now we don't know the day or the hour on this, but there will come a day when everyone who's ever going to believe in Christ is going to believe. And the word will have been spread all around the world. That day has not occurred yet. But Jesus, when asked by his disciples about this, he said they were asking him when the end would come. And he said, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So the plan was this. His disciples had traveled with him three, three and a half years. They had watched him do amazing miracles. They had heard him teach the word of God in a way that nobody had ever taught the word of God. They had seen him raise people from the dead. And Jesus said, I'm going away. And when I go, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. He'll be with you and he'll be in you. And he's going to be the one that enables you to accomplish this. Because think about that daunting task Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples of the whole world. These were fishermen and ordinary businessmen who probably hadn't been more than 30 or 40 miles from their hometown ever in their whole lives, and now they were going to go all across the world? Well, how is that going to work? And so Jesus said this to them. He said, I'm going to empower you through the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth that's how they were going to get it done. In fact, the life application is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can participate in carrying the good news of Jesus all over the world. We can as the current generation of disciples of Jesus living on this planet, Christ followers, we can participate in spreading the good news all over the world. And the way it works is every time that the gospel is shared somewhere and a group of believers is formed, what we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and empowers them. And today we'll see how this works out through special giftings he gives us, but he enables us then to work together to proclaim the gospel in a whole bunch of different amazing and interesting ways. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, speaking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit, he said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Well, how can we do greater works than Jesus? Well, the same Spirit the same Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus at his baptism, that same Holy Spirit has been placed inside of us. And when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and we participate in what the Lord is doing in the world, oh my goodness, now all of a sudden, instead of just Jesus traveling in Palestine, now there are Christians in China and Australia and America and Africa, all over the world, and God's work is being done simultaneously all over the place. And we can be a part of that. And Today, we'll talk about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He gives, gives us special gifts so we can get that done. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you for today. I want everything that you have in store for us in this world. Lord, we are not just waiting around to die. Lord, you have given us a mission to accomplish. And when every single person who's ever going to believe is hurt, you'll return. So we have today. And Lord, help us make the most of today. We have your Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we ask, Lord, that you would show us how to cooperate with him. If you would like to learn something today about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life, would you say, Lord, would you show me something I need to learn? Would you speak to me? Just silently right now, just say, Lord, would you speak to me? I want to learn something about what you're trying to do in and through me today. Oh, Lord, I thank you that we can participate with you in carrying the good news all over the world. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Point B, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts to enable us to carry out our mission together. So if we're going to do this together, the team of the disciples went out, and every place they went, other teams of Christians were formed. the Holy Spirit would do special things inside of them. This is point one. Under their B1, the Holy Spirit gives believers a wide variety of gifts so we can help each other. In the margin, you can write, for the common good. He gives us gifts so we can do this together. He wants us to do, do this together as a team. When Jesus sends us out, he doesn't send us out just by myself, me by myself, and you by yourself. We get to do this together. Listen to how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 12. A spiritual gift, a manifestation of the Spirit, is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. To someone else, the one Spirit gives a gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the abilities to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what's being said. Now, if you keep going, I'm, I'm going to read several. There's four passages in the New Testament where they kind of give a, a short list of the spiritual gifts, and then I'll go back and explain them here in a minute. So if you've got questions, that's good. We'll try to answer some more of those in a minute. This is Romans 12. Again, the Apostle Paul. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, well, then be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, well, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. Peter weighed in in 1 Peter 4. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. There's that theme again, what we're supposed to be doing with this. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Well, then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.10. And finally, Paul in Ephesians 4. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, I wanted you to have all four of those references so you can go back and look them up. But, Anthony, can we put the lists up here? I'm going to put the list that was from Romans and 1 Corinthians and 1 Peter up here. I want these three lists up here so you can just kind of understand how many different ways are listed in these passages that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in our lives. And he does this so we'll be effective in ministry. God wants us to bear much fruit in our ministry. He didn't send his disciples out there, hey, go out and make disciples, but this is going to be really hard and you're probably not going to be able to get it done. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going to be with you and the Holy Spirit will empower you. You're going to bear much fruit. And so here are some ways that he does that. Let me start with the Corinthian list, first of all. And I just want to point out a couple of things like wisdom and faith and, uh, or even in this list over here of serving and other things. When people are given those things, I thought we were supposed to all serve, and I think we're all supposed to live wisely. Well, yeah, but when God gives us a spiritual gift, this is taking it to another level. Like people not only have faith, but they've got a supernatural amount of faith. To keep praying and hanging on to something that God has put in their heart, this needs to be done. The same way with giving. We all need to give generously, but man, there are people who give way beyond generously. And they tell you, God blesses me with this, and I feel like I'm supposed to give even more. But when it comes to some other gifts, maybe you've never heard of this before, but God gives special knowledge to people at times, insights into things they wouldn't know. And people ask me, John, does that stuff really happen? Well, let me tell you one way that I encountered that in my life. And it has to do with Centerpoint Fellowship Church. Before, uh, many of you know that I'd worked for almost 20 years at Fraser Methodist in Montgomery, been a part of the staff there, had a wonderful ministry experience. But I'd always been praying about if God wanted to send us to another church, another location, that he needed to make it clear. Well, It's right out about nine years ago right now that some people who'd been forming CenterPoint, some of the folks who got this organized, came to see me one day, and they asked if I would consider being the pastor of this church that was just meeting in a living room at the time. So I was going to leave a church of 8,000 people to go be a pastor of a church that meets in a living room. And what a wonderful challenge, but I was scared to death. So I told my wife, man, we've been praying about this, and this is an opportunity. There's some people in Prattville, and, oh, man, and we went and talked to the people. It sounded exciting, but the truth is I kind of had cold feet. And so the next day after we'd talked to some of these people here in Prattville, I had gone back to my office, and I was praying about this. I'd only talked to my wife about this. We hadn't talked to anybody else in the whole world about the opportunity for this. And then some people came to see me that day. They came to my office, and um, I had never met them before. And they said, well, we need to talk to you. It uh, was a couple husband and wife. They came to see me. They said, we have a, we feel like God wants us to give a message to you. I went, okay, well, what message does the Lord have for me today? And the man turned to his wife and said, well, you tell him. And so she said, the decision that you're about to make, you must make. You've been waiting on this for a long time. The Lord says, do it. Don't, don't stop. Go ahead. Don't be afraid. I want you to do this. I went, that's it. And she goes, that's it. And I go, do you know what it's about? She goes, I have no idea what it's about, but you've obviously been uh, praying about something for a long time, and now's the time to get it done. Don't be afraid. And they got up and left. I would call that special. Who starts a conversation like that? Why would you start that way? <laughs> I have no, I had no idea who these people were. And you know what? Because they were available for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and be available to that, it gave me great Courage. And I'm so grateful that God brought me to this position here. There's other uh, gifts listed here, faith, healing. When you talk about this, our elders will tell you that one of the greatest joys we have in obedience to Scripture is when people ask us to pray for them. We gather around them, according to James 5, we anoint them with oil and pray for healing. And we don't see miraculous healing every time we pray for people, but we have seen God do some amazing things and answer some prayers in some wonderful ways. Why would we think that the Holy Spirit wouldn't do that? I mean, He wants us to pray for things like this. He wants us to ask Him to heal people. If you go on down, even when it comes to prophecy here, when it talks about prophets and prophecy, prophecy is not only, sometimes we focus just on the, um, on the future telling, and the Old Testament prophets certainly did that, but there was another component to their ministry too, the Old Testament prophets. Not only did they say about the things that were going to happen but they called people back to faithfulness. They were the ones who confronted the kings when they were in sin and said, you need to repent of your sin. You're going the wrong way. And some of them mean the king cut off their head. They were the people who called back people back to righteousness and said, stop sinning. So a big part of the gift of prophecy is being able to clearly proclaim God's word, call people back to faithfulness and obedience and remind them that God gives them the commands because of his great love for them. Some of you... I've written me notes in the past and said, well, you got some profit in you. You, That comes out a lot in the way you teach. And it does. And I would tell you, I believe that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit works through me is to call people back to faithfulness, to remind them of God's great love for them. And if we repent, how much he'll restore us and fill us with power and love. Some other things, the ability to distinguish spirits and then tongues and interpretation of tongues. Well, these are gifts that are listed here of how the Holy Spirit works in people's lives. There's been a lot of division over this. And some people won't accept that people can speak in tongues, and other people are afraid that, that it'll just uh, be a runaway train if people start doing this. But the Bible, in fact, if you go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we re- I mean, after chapter 12, you go in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that he spoke in tongues more than anybody else. And he asks us not to discourage people or dissuade them from that. Just asks us to not have things... That are out of uh, order or cause a commotion or cause people to be confused. And so one of the things we want everybody to understand is that God uses all of these gifts to work inside the church so we can help each other. Now I want to go to the other list, that last one from Ephesians 4, if we could go there please. There was all, There were also five gifts listed here, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the idea there was simply that some of the gifts are given to people so that these people can be in leadership to help other people use their gifts. If you wonder what an apostle is, an apostle would be a missionary or a church planter, someone who really wants to go get the church started where it hasn't been going before. It means person who's sent. Somebody wants to start a new Bible study with people who've never been in Bible study before. That's apostleship. Prophets, this, this is what I talked about. These are truth-tellers. These are people who say, this is the word of the Lord, and it calls people back to faithfulness. There are people who call people back to faithfulness. Evangelists, these are people who can tell the gospel story in a winsome way. I mean, you think about like people like Billy Graham. I mean, they can tell the gospel story and recruit people to the kingdom. And people respond, and God gives them supernatural ability to do that. And then pastors and teachers. The pastors are shepherds who care for people's souls and help restore their souls, help them through hurts, help them through problems, give them counsel and lead them and guide them and help grow them up. Teachers bring light into a dark place or illuminate things so people can understand what God's word says. And so Paul says there are some people who become a gift themselves. The very people become a gift to the whole church because the pastors and teachers can show people how to use their gifts and the apostles can help bring people up and start new work and call people in and say, oh, God's given you that gift. Come on, let's go start this work together. And the prophets can wake people up who've been asleep and said, hey, you haven't been using your gift. Use your gift. By the way, I'll tip my hand. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you a pep talk. Hey, if you haven't been developing the gift that God's given you, this would be a good time to get going. Because when we are faithful to use what God has given us, oh, man, we will experience his power flowing in and through us. Here's a life application for each of us. We should desire spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be afraid of this. We should desire this. We should desire God to work through us. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 14 1 Let your highest goal, love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy, to call people back to faithfulness. Now, if you want to know what I mean by that desire, if you take your outline, close it on the back side, there's a quote from Francis Chan. Let me read it to you. He said this better than I ever could. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you love the church? Well, as you look around at your brothers and sisters, do you think to yourself, I love these people so much, I pray God empowers me in some way to encourage these people toward a deeper walk with him. The desire of a spiritual gift is, Lord, I want to participate in what you're doing in the world. I want people to come to know Christ. I want us to work together. I want you to work in me in such a way that I can be a part of that happening. That I can encourage my brothers and sisters and we can, that we can see you binding us together so we'll have better outreach than every, we ever would have had on our own. We'll have better education and instruction in the faith than any of us could have done on our, by ourselves. We'll be able to serve people in ways and pool our resources in ways that God gets the glory. Now, if you understand that, that's the desire behind a spiritual gift for the common good so we can help each other for the sake of the kingdom, not to have a spiritual gift so I can show off. We'll talk about that in a little bit. That would be the wrong reason. That brings us to point two. So the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in such a way, then the Holy Spirit also ensures that no one receives all the spiritual gifts so that we need each other. No one receives all of them. Here's what Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 12. Human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one Spirit. We all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, well, that doesn't mean it's any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Now, how strange a body would be if it had only one part, Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. I can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. He goes on to say in verse 29, are are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. If we could get that list back up here again. We listed all these spiritual gifts, and God makes sure that each of us have at least one of these. Some of us may have a combination of these, but none of us have them all, and the idea behind that is, is so that we will work together. This is a project we do together. That's why you and I don't need to be afraid of reaching uh, the world for Christ. So there are churches in Africa, and churches in China, and there are churches here. Well, he's called us to work together in our neck of the woods. And he's going to ensure that we have people who will have the right skills and abilities to get the work done that he calls us to do. So we don't need to be afraid. We each have our own part. Now, that brings us to point three. The Holy Spirit also ensures that all spiritual gifts are important. We don't all have the same gift. And all of the gifts that we do have are equally important. Some of them are more visible than others, but that's not, what significant, that's not what gives them their significance. First Corinthians 12, 22. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And if the parts we regard as less honorable and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part's honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. We're all necessary. I love it that a couple of weeks ago when I was walking in here on a Sunday morning, a couple of the greeters greeted me and they said, man, I'm sure glad you decided to show up. And I said, well, me too. I said, I'm sure glad you decided to show up. And I thought about how profound that really was. It wasn't just an exchange of a lighthearted thought. It was actually true. When the greeters are greeting people, when our ushers are handing people outlines, well, think if they handed them an outline and then nobody got up to speak. And go, what am I supposed to do with this? But I love it when I stand up here that you guys actually have an outline. You can circle things, write things down. You can go look up these scriptures later, which is what I want you to do. And not only were people handing them out, there were people at our office on Friday morning who were taking these outlines and stuffing them into the bulletins. So every single part is necessary. And the bulletin stuff for people are people you'll never see most of the time. But their part is just as important as my part for this to all work together. And sometimes people ask me, well, John, is it really that big a deal that you have these outlines and things? I want to tell you, I went to an office a couple of years ago in Montgomery. I was doing a devotional for an office there. I want to show you something. One of the employees of that office comes to Centerpoint, and she'd had a, a, a whole table there. She did a Bible study at noon. Every week, she would take the outline there and pass it out to everybody. She got extra copies. She was using this every week. And the reason she had it was because somebody stuffed it in the bulletin. Somebody else handed it to her. I made the chance. I had the opportunity to teach it. She was using it. Now, what would happen if we would just cooperate and say, but she, had, she, was, using, she was doing what the Holy Spirit called her to do. And what if we all worked together on this? Now, there's a life application here for us. We can develop whatever spiritual gifts we receive. Whether they're real prominent, upfront gifts or behind-the-scenes gifts, we can still be the best we can be at that. I mean, if somebody was gifted in ability like music, you would understand it would still benefit them. Even if they were a gifted musician, it would still benefit them to go to music school. Well, it benefits us if we learn to use our skills, yes, but also if we use our spiritual gifts. Paul told Timothy this. He said, fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, if we're talking through all this and you're saying, but I'm not sure what spiritual gifts he's given me and how to use those. Your bulletin jacket has a tear-off tab and we have opportunities. We have classes coming up. In fact, next week you'll have a class. You can go online and sign up for this or you can just tear this off and fill it off and drop it in a response bucket on your way out today. But there's opportunities for you to serve. And we, we have classes on that. We'll talk to you on how to better use your spiritual gifts. We would love to discuss this with you if you have questions, and help you figure that out. That brings us to point four. The Holy Spirit decides which gifts we receive. If you're wondering, well, how do I know which one I get, and who decides that? Well, Paul says the Holy Spirit does. Now, dear brothers and sisters, this is 1 Corinthians 12. One, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives, I don't want you to misunderstand this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. Different kinds of service but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. It's the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts, and he alone decides which gift each person should have. If I could get that list back up here again. Now, when you look at this list, you might go, well, I don't want to have anything to do with some of these. I want this one rather than that one. Well, I want to tell you in my own personal experience, um, after I became a Christian in college, and then got involved in Bible studies and things. It became clear after I was asked to lead a Bible study once. People said, wow, you did a good job of that. You need to do more of that. You may have a gift where you can teach or lead people. And so I volunteered to lead a small group. Well, over time, that continued to grow. But if you had talked to me when I was 20 years old and told me that one day I'd be the pastor of a church and that I would be teaching other people about these things, I said, no way. I didn't get my undergraduate in education. I got it in engineering. I'd never done anything like this before. But every single time I started using my gift, I felt like God wanted me to do more of it. It wasn't something that I had chosen. And that may happen to you. On the other hand, it may be that God has had a burning desire going on in your heart for a long time, and he's calling you to respond to it. I mean, I consider myself so blessed that that couple came to see me when God told them that they had a message for me. I mean, what would happen if they all they had to do was just not go? And they would have missed out on that blessing, and so would have I. But they felt like, no, this is something God wants us to say to you. Well, there are other people that do the same thing. I really believe God wants me to work with children. I really believe God's calling me to missions. I really believe that God's calling me to lead a small group. I believe that God is calling me to teach people how to pray. This is how the Holy Spirit wells up inside of us all the time. We want to help you discover that, cooperate with that, and get on with that. Now, I want to remind us again, this life application here, the Holy Spirit is a person we can know and trust, not a power we can control. Never under, never misunderstand what I'm saying here. This is the Holy Spirit. He is active in our lives. He is giving us gifts. We can't buy or control the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a guy who tried this, by the way, in the book of Acts. And he had seen Peter and the other Apostles laying hands on people and they were receiving the Holy Spirit, and he tried to buy it. If you've never heard about Simon, this is what happened. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that I when I lay my hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart's not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Oh, pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We don't buy and sell him. This isn't electricity that you can buy by the kilowatt. The Holy Spirit is a person active in our lives, and we cooperate. He leads us. We don't manipulate him. And so it's just a matter of, and if you have questions about this, it's why we're working together. We can help each other understand this. Now, lastly, I want to say one last thing. We're talking about spiritual gifts. If we use our spiritual gifts without love, Paul says they're worthless. The same passage where he's talking about all the different spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 is followed by 1 Corinthians 13. Here's how it begins. If I could speak... All the languages of the earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, you know, that calling people to faithfulness, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, had all this special knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, well, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And what God wants us to do is He wants us to cooperate with each other other, for the common good, to complete our mission, of which we are all a necessary part. You are a part of the body of Christ as a follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit is active in your life, and He wants you to work together with others so we together can make a huge difference For the kingdom of God. He'll be the one who gifts us. He'll be the one who calls us. He'll be the one who helps us work together. The only question is, do we want to cooperate with that and experience this? So often people come to me and say, I just want to experience more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And here's one of the things I've discovered. When I cooperate with what God wants to do in my life and what the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do and step out in faith, like when God was calling me to step out to lead Bible studies and things. When I cooperated with him, I could feel his power going through me. I could feel his presence as I organized my thoughts. They were better organized than I'd ever been able to do on my own before. I could talk to people and they said their lives were changed by what I said. And I, I didn't even know how that was done. And so my experience of the Holy Spirit became common because my surrender to the Holy Spirit became common. We live in a culture where Many times we want the experience without the surrender. We want the feel-good moments without paying any of the cost. We want to celebrate an anniversary without 365 days of marriage. The reason you celebrate the anniversary is because you went through the 365 of paying bills and working through conflicts and all that stuff. Well, now you've reached a milestone. We well, would like the celebration, but we don't, want any, we don't want any of the hard work. When we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, there will be hard work. There'll be times when he's going to call us to step out on faith. He's going to enlarge us in areas that we never thought we could do. And he's going to work through us in ways that we've not experienced yet. But that's the joy of it. And I want us to embrace that adventure together. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, God, I just pray that, Lord, today you have reminded us once again of your great love for us. And you've reminded us that you are working in and through us.